I'm Dwight Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show because we are in week two, moving right along, and I have some gender diversity on today and are going to talk about measuring crime with two more of my wonderful Heartland Community College students. My students are going to enlighten you on measuring crime and a particular law that has really been in the news lately. So without any further ado, I introduce to some and present to others, Mr. Brady Starkey and Ms. Lalia Royalman. Yes. Welcome to the show, lady and gentlemen. Hello. Hello. The title of today's show is the UCR, NIBRIS, and RICO Act. Let's get right into it, guys. Segment one, Brady and Lalia, is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this by having our guests introduce themselves. So, if you would, tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, your major or planned major, why you took the class, and give us one career goal. Ladies first, Lalia. Okay, well, hi, I'm Lalia, and I'm very excited to be here today. So I was born in Buffalo, New York, but I was raised all over the country. Um, I lived in Tennessee, Illinois, Arizona, Texas. I graduated from Normal Community High School, and I'm currently a history major. My goal is to practice law, and that's one reason why I did take this class. I believe this class will be helpful in like introducing me to the justice system in a more in-depth way than I have been introduced to like it before and set me up for law school. Wonderful history, huh? Very good mm-hmm. choice for someone who is aspiring attorney. Um, One of my great friends who was chief judge of McLean County Court was a history major. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. You were going to say? I was going to say, yeah, I think like the history major is one of those majors that can really set you up for law school because you read a lot, you write a lot. So it prepares you. Oh, all right, Brady. Hello, my name is Brady. I was born and raised in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, I attended and graduated Norman Community High School. Uh, I plan to major in criminal justice And I'm taking this class just to help introduce criminal justice system to me. And that's important because in the future, I want to become a police officer. Wonderful, Brady. The criminal justice system and law enforcement needs good people like Brady Stark. And once an Ironman, what? Always an Ironman. Okay, then. (laughs) 
All right, guys. Very good. Brady, quick question. I didn't mean to oh, cut no, you No, go off. ahead. Go ahead. Brady, is your dad a teacher? Yes, yeah. Is he on account? He was my accounting teacher in high school. Oh, right. That's so yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful <laughs> exchange. I've never had that happen before. <laughs> Segment two, constitutional rights. Segment two is to inform the American public of their constitutional rights. Before we ask you to tell us what your favorite constitutional right is and why, let's remind the audience that today's episode is entitled the UCR, NIBRS, which is an acronym, N-I-B-R-S, and RICO Act. Question I have for you guys. Let's allow Brady to go first this time, Lalia. Brady, what does the acronym UCR stand for? Uniform Crime Reporting. Okay. Lalia, what does NIBRIS stand for? The National Incident-Based Reporting System. Wonderful. Oh, you guys have been studying. I have. Okay, mm-hmm. back to you, Brady. Let's see if you can get this one. What does RICO stand for? Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations. Wonderful. Oh, watch out now. I got some astute students up in here today. Yes, what our audience should know is that in the criminal justice system, there is an acronym for everything. And it's impossible to actually know what all the acronyms stand for. So if you have to look it up from time to time, there's no worries, no problem. All right. Back to you, Lalia. Can you give me one fact about the Uniform Crime Report? Yes, I can. So this program takes all the data provided by the FBI and puts it together to create statistics for everyone from law enforcement to the public. And then it reports both crimes against people and crimes against property. Wonderful. You are awesome. Okay, Brady, uh, this one's for you. Can you give me one fact about NIBRIS? Yeah, I don't have that much information. I just have that it provides greater specificity in reporting offenses. That is a wonderful answer, Brady, because the difference between the Uniform Crime Report and NIBRIS is that the Uniform Crime Report primarily reports the particular offense. But NIBRIS, as Brady so well articulated, actually reports some of the characteristics of the person who is violating the law and who is offending or who has been arrested. Information may be gained on that individual regarding their family, their educational background. And so it allows us to kind of look into things a little bit deeper and Determine, for example, if a person doesn't have a high school diploma, that might be one of the driving forces behind the individual violating the law or committing the crime. Or if an individual is homeless and doesn't have anything to eat, that might be one of the reasons why they actually have stolen something. Okay, RICO Act. A few more facts about the RICO Act. RICO was passed by the Senate on January 23rd, 1970. I know before you guys were born. Passed the House on October 7th, 1970, and signed into law by President Richard Nixon on October 15th, 1970. Are either of you, uh, if you're not, that's okay. Are either of you knowledgeable or aware of who President Richard Nixon is? Yes. A little bit. Okay. All right. What do you know? One thing that you know, Lalia. Um, I know President Richard Nixon from like his controversies of his uh, presidency. Um, I believe this was him. Was it Watergate? 
That is I correct. Don't have to that is mostly. correct. So how ironic is that? He actually signs the RICO law and he actually could have been charged with a criminal offense because of the whole Watergate scandal. Is that what you were going to say, Brady? That's exactly what I was going to say. Okay. Later chapters will discuss Weeks versus the United States and Map versus Ohio that focuses on the exclusionary rule, but is related to people running rackets. In other words, those two particular cases, I'm not going to ask you about it, but they deal with individuals running their rackets. And as a result of an illegal searches, the exclusionary rule is created. And those individuals, however, were running rackets. So when you think of racketeering, think of it as dishonest and fraudulent business dealings with two or more people. A traditional, historically most common example of racketeering is the protection racket in which racketeers offer to protect a business from robbery or vandalism. However, the racketeers will themselves coerce or threaten the business into accepting this service, often with the threat, implicit or otherwise, that failure to acquire the offered services will lead to the racketeers themselves contributing to the existing problem. In many cases, the potential problem may be caused by the same party that offers to solve it. But that fact may be concealed with the intent to force continued financial payment. The protection racket is often a method of extortion. So as you guys go through your academic career, you're going to hear more about the RICO law. Two other additional facts. The person accused of criminally violating RICO must also be affiliated with a larger enterprise or group, and their preceding offenses must relate to that enterprise in predefined, pre-established way. And then finally, if someone has been indicted under RICO, it is possible for the prosecutor to seek an order from the court that seizes their assets and prevents them from transferring property. This ensures that financial recovery will be possible if a person is found criminally liable for the charges against them. And we should note that just today, Enrico Terrio, you guys may not be familiar with him, chief and CEO, if you will, of the Proud Boys. And he was one of the main ones that was part of the insurrection. And he was sentenced today by Judge Kelly. And Judge Kelly gave him 22 years in prison. And we should understand that this was a threat to democracy. And it is not something we are able to differentiate because there have been both Democratic and Republican appointed judges who have been sentencing these individuals to prison and dealing with these individuals who were part of the insurrection. So he was found guilty of conspiracy. Just want to note that. All right. Very good. Now, I just want to ask you, what is your favorite constitutional right? Beginning with you, Brady. Uh, I like the sixth, where it's the speedy and public trial. Okay. All right. In other words, an individual has a right to a speedy trial. What would you consider to be a speedy trial? I don't know. Just as soon as they can get it done. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll come back to that, Brady. Okay. Uh, Lalia, what's your favorite constitutional right? My favorite constitutional right is the Eighth Amendment. Okay, and the Eighth Amendment because? Um, I think it's really important that we have some type of laws and rights down to ensure that people aren't being treated unfairly and cruelly. It doesn't always upheld, no, but it's there as a crime. So if you do break that amendment, 
there should be consequences. Wonderful, Leah. And one of the things that you guys are going to learn sometime during this semester is that what the court system and what the criminal justice system desires to do is to make sure that all individuals who commit like offenses are punished the same. In other words, the court does not want any type of disparity in sentencing. Disparity in sentencing meaning that, let's say that me and Brady commit the same type of crime and I get five years, but Brady gets 15 years. We committed the same crime, got no criminal record, got the same background. We both have been employed. We both have up to this point been upstanding citizens. And so that is a disparity between the sentence that I was given and that Brady was given. And so thus, that is what is considered to be unfair. We don't want that to happen because then that would possibly be considered cruel and unusual punishment. And to what you were saying, Brady, about the Sixth Amendment, I don't know, again, if you guys have been following the news, but with this charges in Georgia, what has happened is that two people have requested speedy trials. And in Georgia, the way the law states is that if you don't get it in during the term that you're currently in, it has to be the following term, which is the next month. They're actually going to have their trials within two months, but pretty much that an individual has to have their trial within like six month period. All right. Very good. Let's move on. Segment three, being a voice for change. As an emerging adult who grew up in a predominantly white America, what say Lalia and Brady about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Beginning with you, Lalia. Um, Well, I'm a very strong supporter of the statement Black Lives Matter. I believe that um, when people hear that statement, they often think that we're implying only Black people matter, that only Black people deserve rights, only Black people should be alive. But that's not what we're saying. When we say Black Lives Matter, we're saying that we deserve to be alive. We deserve to go into the grocery store without fearing that we might be targeted, might be victims of discrimination. Um, I think that it's very important that we as people really talk about and acknowledge what white supremacy is and how not only does it affect Black people and other minorities, but also how white people benefit from white supremacy. Even if a person considers themselves an ally, um, there's still white privilege. And when you have that white privilege, I think it's very important that you use that to be able to speak up because you're in a position where many can't and um, advocate for equality. Wonderful. Wonderful. Brady? You took the words right out of my mouth. Awesome. That's how you were going to put it? Not that like specific, but the gist of what I was going to say was like the main point of what she said. Cool. Awesome, Brady. Got some agreement there. All right. Mm -hmm. Going to go back to you. Okay. So would it be fair to say that both of you believe that white supremacy does exist? Yes. Okay, because and I asked that question and I like asking my students that question, because at this dispensation and point in time in society, if an individual cannot identify that there are some people and definitely we're talking about a minority. All right. We're talking about an extreme minority like the Proud Boys, the three percenters, the Oath Keepers, the KKK. If an individual cannot identify that. Those are white supremacists and as according to the FBI are currently the most dangerous thing that we have to be concerned about domestically speaking. If an individual cannot identify that that is true, then that goes to their judgment. And Mm -hmm. especially when you're going to be a police officer, you have to be able to identify what is true. 
Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Wonderful, guys. Wonderful. All right. I ask everybody that appears on this podcast, what would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish? If you have one thing that you would like to see the president accomplish, what would it be? Beginning with you, Brady. One thing that I really want to see them like accomplish is just to help the U.S. get safer because there have been really tragic things that have happened recently that could be avoided. And I just want to see like the USA get safer and stronger. Wonderful, my man. Wonderful. Lalia? Um, there's a few things I want to see them accomplish, but like two main things, I want to see them take the steps to provide accessible health care for all. I think that's really important. I don't think it's fair that some people don't have access to health care at all when I believe that good and quality health care and safe health care is one of our birthrights. And I also want to see them take steps and actually act on it to combat climate change. It's been hot. The winters have been very harsh. Species are dying and it's only a matter of time before we really can't do anything about it. So now's the time to truly act on it. Wonderful. Wonderful. Guys are awesome, man. Okay, just a couple of more questions. All right. uh, That I plan on asking everybody that appears this semester because of the climate that we're in, because of this dispensation. Should a convicted felon be allowed to be president of the United States, beginning with you? I say yes. I say yes, because the Constitution makes no mention of someone being ineligible to run for office if they have a criminal background. So it would be unconstitutional to deny them the opportunity to run and accept the um, presidency. I believe that they should be able to. Okay, All right. And Brady? I think they should be able to, because there are some felonies that like aren't as like aggressive or horrible as some other felonies. So I think those with lesser felonies should have a chance to prove that they are still able to do right for the country. Yes, I agree with that, like wholeheartedly. Okay. Do you think a convicted felon should be allowed to vote? Beginning with you, Brady. I am in the same boat as the president. I think, yes, some should be able to vote because if the felonies aren't as high as other felonies are like compared, I think people should be able to vote who don't have hard felonies on their record. Okay. Um, I also said yes. Again, kind of falling in the order of one, I believe it will be undemocratic to not allow them to vote, seeing as they're still citizens who have to pay taxes. They should have a say in who they vote for, who um, who really supports them in their economy. And also, I believe that denying some people a right to vote is a form of discrimination. Boy, man, man. Okay, awesome. Final couple of questions. Marijuana is legal in the state of Illinois. Do you think that it should be legalized at the federal level? And I always ask this question because beginning in the 80s, that's when we began to see a lot of people, our prison system just like grew astronomical as a result of the 1986 Substance Abuse Act. What do you say, Brady, to that question? I think it should be legalized. Uh, The United States is in major debt and marijuana is a major moneymaker. And I think that could help out with the money. And marijuana has also helped with medical conditions. Like it helps people like not get rid of the pain, but help eases the pain. And yeah. 
fine. I also agree with that. And I said yes as well. Um, the criminalization of marijuana has been used for decades now to um, unjustly punish people and put them in prison. There are people who are serving life sentences for possessing marijuana. And the percentage of Americans who use marijuana recreationally and medically is only going to grow every year. So I just think it makes sense to legalize it. All right. And then finally, let's see if we can get a little diversity. Should community college be free? Beginning with you, Brady. I personally said no. I understand how people can say like community college should be free because like a lot of people can't afford a lot of things, but people are still doing jobs and they still have to teach and you, you can't really learn anything like high like education for free. So I think a little money is good, but I don't think it should be free. But I understand why people say that it should be free. OK. All right. Lilia. I said it should be free. I believe that education is a birthright for all. Um, everybody deserves to have access to education, whether it's higher education, whether they're just going to elementary school, it doesn't matter. I believe it should be free. Wonderful. All right. Very good. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uniform Crime Report, National Incident-Based Reporting System, Important Constitutional Rights, the Racketeer Influenced Corruption Organization Act, and how to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed.